Hey, thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message today, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Advent encompasses the four Sundays before Christmas. Starts the Sunday after Thanksgiving and goes right up and into Christmas Eve. This Advent, we're focusing on Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. In particular, the four descriptive titles at the end of verse 6. We're taking one for each of the Sundays of Advent. So I want you to look with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Writing 700 plus years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah says, For to us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. On the first Sunday of Advent, the last Sunday in November, R.J. shared with us about what it means to have Jesus as our wonderful counselor. A week later, I shared with you what it means to have Jesus as our mighty God. And then this morning, we're focusing on the third of those four titles in which Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be an everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. And I have to admit to you that the question, how is Jesus our everlasting Father, is a very difficult one for me. I've really struggled with how to bring this out to our folks. In fact, the more I thought about it, the more I beat myself up, I should have preached the first Sunday in Advent and made R.J. preach this one. And for some reason I didn't think about that. And I apologize for that. How can we envision Jesus as an everlasting Father? Of all the descriptions of Jesus in the Bible, this one is the one that, that seems the most unlikely for Jesus when you think about it. And I realize not everybody thinks about it, nor does everybody want to think about it, but when we do think about it, thinking of Jesus as an everlasting Father can have some real difficulties. I mean, when we think about wonderful counselor, to think of Jesus as advising us and guiding us and comforting us and counseling us and defending us, it's no problem for us to think about Jesus as our wonderful counselor. We get that. We're good with that. And even as mighty God, to think that Jesus, being God, is our all-powerful, all-knowing champion who has control over everything, we can envision that. We uh, We can understand that, at least to some extent. We don't struggle with that. And although we haven't gotten to Prince of Peace yet, we all can probably think of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, the person offering peace. We can see Him as that more than we can see Him as anything else. But Everlasting Father, 
That's more difficult to envision. Because when we open up the scriptures, we see that God is described as Father, and Jesus is described in the New Testament as His Son. Jesus never married, and so He never had any biological children. And in lieu of the fact that God the Father is called Father, and Jesus is called God the Son, and Jesus never called Himself by the name of Father, and in lieu of the fact that he'd never married and never had any biological children, can he really be Father? For many of us, the concept of God, Jesus as God the Father, is one that trips us up in our understanding of who God is. How can God be Father and Jesus be the Son, and yet they both be one and the same God? It, it goes back to that that technical term that we Christians use, the doctrine of the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity says that we believe in one and only one God, but this one God reveals himself to us in three distinct persons. One person is God the Father, the second person is God the Son Jesus, and the third person is God the Holy Spirit. We don't have three gods, only one God, but this God reveals himself to us not as one person, but as three persons. It's one God who reveals himself as three, one in three. But how can Father, Jesus, be both Father as well as Son? We, we capture the idea that he's the Son, but how do, we, how do we grasp the idea that he also is Father? How can one person be both Son and Father? You say, well, Jimmy, you're both a Son and a Father. Yeah, but it's not the same. I am married. We do have children. I am the son biologically of my dad and mom. Jesus, however, it's a different thing. And yet here Isaiah, over 700 years before the birth of Christ, prophesies that the Messiah, who we know to be Jesus Christ, the Messiah would be an everlasting father. Now I want to remind you of something that I told you two weeks ago. And that is that almost all Old Testament prophecies have at least two understandings, at least two meanings. One of them will be an imminent meaning. By that I mean that uh, there, there will be a fulfillment of that prophecy in the near future. It may not be immediate, but it'll be within a few years. That's an imminent almost immediate understanding, but then there's also a distant or far-off future meaning to these Old Testament prophecies. And that is also true of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. If you study Isaiah, in particular the context of of Isaiah chapter 9, you'll find that Isaiah is, is consoling Ahaz, the king of Judah, the southern kingdom, and Ahaz and his wife are childless. And, and Ahaz is worried about neighboring nations who are threatening to invade him. In particular, he's worried that the northern kingdom of Israel will invade him. He's worried that a further northern kingdom of Syria, we hear a lot about Syria in the news these days, that Syria will align with Israel and invade the southern kingdom of Judah. He's worried about that. On top of that, not having a son, he doesn't have an heir, a parent, 
who could take on the throne in the event that something happened to him. So Ahaz is worried. And so Isaiah comes to Ahaz in the middle of this crisis, and he says to him, Ahaz, you don't need to worry because God has all of this under control. In fact, here's what God wants to say to you. A son will be born to you. Unto us a a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall rest upon his shoulders. That means that the responsibility for governing will reside upon him. And Isaiah further gave him a four-part title, which was the titles were the titles that were often given at a king's coronation. He will be a wonderful counselor. He will have the authority of mighty God. He will have the compassion of an everlasting father, and he will be a king who ushers in a period of peace. The imminent meaning of that verse was that Ahaz and his wife would have a child. They did have a child, a son. They named that son Hezekiah, and Hezekiah grew up to be a very godly king. He wasn't a perfect king by any stretch of the imagination, but he was a godly king. And so the imminent interpretation of Isaiah 9-6 is that they would give birth, Ahaz and his wife, to a child, a son. He would be Hezekiah, and he would have the responsibility for governing. But you and I aren't here reading this passage because it has anything to do with Ahaz. We aren't reading this passage because Isaiah was prophesying the imminent birth of a son whose name was Hezekiah. We are here, but not because of the imminent meaning of that passage, but because of the distant, far-off meaning of that passage, which is that there would come a king, a counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father who would also be prince of peace and his government would last forever. And that person we know to be Jesus. But that doesn't answer the question again, how do we embrace Jesus as a heavenly father, as an everlasting father? What does it mean to say that Jesus is our everlasting father? Well, first off, to say that Jesus is father means that all of the positive traits of fatherhood are possessed by Jesus. All of the positive traits of fatherhood. Now, I realize that for most fathers, most fathers have some positive traits. Their children can tell you what they are. But I also know that even some of the best fathers have some negative traits. They get a little cranky every now and then for not a good reason, and, or there's some sort of negative trait. But I'm not talking about the negative traits. I'm saying that to say Jesus is Father, to use the word Father to describe Jesus, means that Jesus possesses all of the positive traits of fatherhood. 
Now, the Gospel of John is the one that connects Jesus as God more than the other three Gospels. The other three Gospels do it, but not nearly as explicitly as does the Gospel of John. And so, I want to pull out some verses from the Gospel of John that show us that that Jesus is equated with God the Father and that thereby He possesses all of the positive traits of fatherhood. So, follow with me here. John chapter 8, verse 20. All of these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, you do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. You see the connection there. John chapter 10, verse 30. I and the father are one. John chapter 10, verse 38. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand what? That the father is in me and I in the Father. John 14, verse 7, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. If you knew me, you'd know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Why? Because they've seen Jesus. John chapter 14, verses 9 and 10, Jesus answering Philip, he says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. John chapter 14, verse 11. Again, the words of Jesus. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He said that several times already. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. And finally, in John chapter 15, verse 23, Jesus said, He who hates me hates my Father as well. Now what we see in all of these verses from John is that Jesus equates himself to God the Father. He, the Son, and God, the Father, are one, he's saying. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Therefore, all of the positive traits of fatherhood are possessed in Jesus Christ. Second, to say that Jesus is Father gives us an image of the picture of Christ relationship to us. The idea of a father-child relationship helps us to understand the relationship that Jesus wants to have, that God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit want to have with us. Now here's where the difficulty comes in. Because most of us, when we think of, try to think of, of Jesus being our Father or God being our Father, we cannot help but to somehow tie into that our, the characteristics of our own fathers, our biological fathers. And some of you, when you think about your dad, you think, man, a great guy, an absolutely godly guy, an honest guy, a hardworking guy. You think about all these wonderful traits. And it's easy for you then, easier for you to embrace the idea of Jesus being an everlasting 
father because you've had a good father. Other people, you may not have had a good experience with your dad at all. You may not even know who your dad is. And for you, it creates all kinds of inner conflict when you hear a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or a small group leader say, well, you know, God the Father, he's a good, good father. And you say, I don't know what that is. Because I never had a good, good father. Never had any father. Anytime uh, I preach on the idea of God being Father or Jesus being an everlasting Father, I've always, I've, I've had the challenge since I've been here at Palmetto because invariably we have uh, uh, staff and residents from the Georgia Baptist Children's Home who attend our worship services and some of the, the children and teenagers who attend here from the children's home, they, they didn't have and they don't have a good picture of a father. And I struggle with, okay, uh, how can I say this about God being a good father in a way that a, a young girl or a young boy from the children's home would be able to grasp it? I think you can understand my dilemma here. It's very challenging. Most of us, when we think about God being Father, we cannot help but pull in the traits of our own dads. And I'm the same way. I, I, when I think about God the Father, I can't help but think about my dad, Jerry Orr. My dad was a country farmer, country preacher. He still pastors a little church of about 40, 35, 40 people up near Lula, Georgia. He's been there for nine years. He has no theological education. In fact, uh, his highest level of education was high school graduation. He was offered a four-year football scholarship to Furman, but he opted to go into the Navy instead. And once he got to the Navy, they did some physical exams on him. He had a broken nose from being the center on his football team. And because he had a broken nose, they wouldn't accept him into the Navy. And by the time they rejected him from the Navy, his scholarship was gone. And so he went to work at General Motors. He worked for General Motors on the assembly line for over 30 years. He would get up and he would carpool at 4 o'clock in the morning. They would leave out going to the Dorval assembly plant, General Motors, and he would, he would leave out at 4 o'clock in a carpool and they would come back around sometime around 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. He would come in and then he would go down to our chicken house. We raised uh, 20,000 chickens at any given time, so he was also a poultry farmer. He had a garden every year, a two-acre garden, that we really didn't need a tenth of the vegetation that came out of it, but he felt like he had to have the biggest garden uh, in the county. He had a peach orchard. He sold World Book encyclopedias on the side. And, and my aunt, my mother's sister, was married to a guy who owned a trophy shop back in the days when trophies were made out of metal. Do y'all remember that, those of you? Dinosaurs were roaming the earth. Trophies were metal. You could not break them. They're worthless now, really. And my dad became a trophy salesman. So he was working at General Motors. He was a poultry farmer. He had a peach orchard. He had a big garden in the summer. He sold world book encyclopedias, and he sold trophies. And so you'll understand why I say to you, 
And, and I realize I'm biased. I realize that he was the hardest working man I've ever known. Some of you would easily and can easily say that about your dad. My dad's the hardest working man I've ever known. And when I think about that good trait of my dad, I know that God is the hardest working person ever. He's working on our behalf 24-7. I think about the sacrifices my dad made. He, he worked all of those jobs because he wanted to provide for his kids something that he did not have when he was growing up. And we all want to do that, don't we? Sometimes it's a mistake to do that. But that's what my dad did. He worked hard to provide for our family. And when I was a kid, I never even realized it. When I would get around Christmas time and I would notice that, that my dad and my mom sometimes would not even get Christmas gifts. And, and I, I couldn't understand it until much later in my life. They were sacrificing what they wanted so that their kids could have what they wanted and needed. And I apply that trait to God the Father, my Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that He sacrifices he has sacrificed for me. He sacrificed for you. And He's constantly sacrificing for us. The night that I was saved at Shady Grove Baptist Church in 1968, I came to the altar and I knelt down at the altar and I was crying and crying. I thought that I could beg my way into the kingdom of God. I was totally misguided. And Dad came up and uh, I didn't see him, but I could feel his great big old hands. He had hands as big as Alaska. And they were always hot. And he put that hand on my back, and I could feel it. And he leaned down, and he says, Jimmy, your crying is not going to get you saved, son. Now, that may sound really simple, but it rocked my boat. And it was then and only then that I, I, I stopped trying to get saved and I just allowed Christ to save me. We're talking about Jesus as Father and, and taking the positive traits of fatherhood and putting that onto, projecting those onto Jesus. Now my dad has some traits that Jesus doesn't have nor should he have. Uh, in fact, Jesus... Well, let me just explain it this way. My dad grew up at a time when his father, my papa Orr, whose name was Ezra, he, he believed in getting all of his kids up before sunup and doing farm work. Even if they were, had to go to school a little bit later in the morning, he got all of them up 30 minutes to an hour before sunup and they were working right up till school time. And then they would walk down to Big Creek Elementary School. And when they got out of school that afternoon, Papa would take them immediately back out into the, the fields to work in the farm or up in the chicken house. My, my grandmother raised uh, laying hens and so they would gather eggs. But they would work until 30 minutes after dark. We call that dark 30. And my Papa Orr felt that if his kids did not get up before sunup and work till after sundown, that they were lazy. And he drilled that into my dad. And my dad felt that way too. I, I, I believe in hard work, but I don't believe in that hard of work. But another thing that my dad 
carried with him from his father is his father was not very affirming. I love my Papa Orr, but my Papa Orr was a very critical person. He would easily criticize. He had a hard, ter- a hard time commending someone for something that they did well. And my father also had that same trait. Not that he was very critical, but on the flip side of that, he could not affirm you. He could not tell you that you did something well. Furthermore, men of his generation up in North Georgia, they, they could not say the word. They just couldn't say the words, I love you. Couldn't do it. I never heard my Papa Orr, although I knew that he loved me, I never heard him say, I love you. And my dad will only say, I love you, if, if I say, I love you to him first. And then he will respond most of the time. And usually it is, a, if I say, dad, dad, I love you, he'll say, love you too. He just can't spit it out. On the other hand, Jesus is the opposite of that. I wake up in the morning and the Lord is saying to me, Jimmy, I love you. I was watching over you while you were asleep. I loved you then. I love you now. No matter where you've been, what you've done, what you've thought, I love you. Wherever you go, I love you. When you're preaching, I love you. When you're at the hospital, I love you. When you're at the funeral home, I love you. And I love you. And that's what he's saying to all of us every day. Oh, I love you. The image of father gives us a picture of Christ's relationship to us. Now you say, well, what if, what if I didn't have a good father? What if my father was a no-show? What if he wasn't a no-show, but he was abusive? How, what do I do with Jesus' father then? Here's what I would suggest. I would suggest that you think of some man or woman, a person who was kind to you, showed respect for you, cared for you, loved you. All of us, even those who who may not have had good experiences with parents, there's somebody, somebody in your life that you say, that person was good to me. That person was like a father to me. Think of that person and all of the good traits of that person and take them and project them onto Jesus. And then if you multiply those positive traits a million, million, trillion, billion times, that's who Jesus is. Third, the idea of Jesus as a father, he's more than a good father. He is the everlasting father. Now, everlasting, the word everlasting in Scripture carries with it two different connotations. One, there is the connotation of quantity, number of. He's everlasting. That is, he he, he will always be there. He will never leave us nor forsake us. There is the everlasting a quantity of days that Jesus spends with us. And then there's quality. Quantity, like in Psalm 90 verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Quantity, as in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And quality, in like Psalm 100 verse 5, the Lord is good His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. I love my dad. He will turn 78 years old on the last day of this month, December 31st. He barely got into 1938. 
Barely did. He's 78. And he has really slowed down. He doesn't remember things as well as he used to. He doesn't work as long hours as he used to, although he still has jobs. There are times when he'll call me and he says, Jimmy, I'm wanting to preach on that scripture passage. Where's that scripture where it says so and so and so and so? And it will be a passage that he has preached on a thousand times. And I'll find it for him. And it breaks my heart. And I know that sometime in the very near future, hopefully not too awfully near, but within the next several years, I know that my dad will no longer be here. And I'll just tell you, as worthless a pastor as I am to you now, I will be worse than worthless at the time that he dies. It will rock my world. But Jesus is the everlasting Father who will never not be there, who will always be by your side. And there will be no time ever when we will say, bye, Lord, because he will never leave. What does it mean for Isaiah to predict Jesus to be the everlasting father? It means that every good fatherly trait that we can think of resides in Jesus. It means that Jesus desires a close relationship like a good father to his children. It means that Jesus will always stand beside us and never leave us and always desire the very best relationship with us that can possibly be had. Which leaves me to ask this question. Is he your father? Have you received him as your savior, your father, your wonderful counselor? Has there been a time in your life when you know you've invited Christ into your life? If you haven't, the invitation that we're about to have is as good a time to do that as any time that I know. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, <laughs> there I go again, Lord. I open up my prayers with Heavenly Father, and so often I don't even give a second thought to the fact that I've called you my Father. <laughs> but you are my Father. Because all the greatest things I can say about a wonderful dad, a dad like my own, you have it many times over. Because you want a relationship with me that's as close, even closer than the relationship that I have with my dad. That you, you want me to know that you will never leave, ever, ever, never. And Lord, you want a relationship with all of us. Lord, during this invitation, I pray that you would move, that you would work. That someone would know you as Father. In Jesus' name, amen.